Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. This morning, we're once again continuing our study through the book of Mark. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about it this morning after our adult Sunday school class. Um, the cadence at which we seem to be making it through our adult Sunday school class curriculum is pretty much in line with the cadence in which we're making it through the study on the book of Mark. Um, half a page at a time. <laughs> so <clears throat> that is a, a process that we will be continuing here. So this morning we're going to focus on one specific point as we work through Scripture. Are you trying to put Jesus in a box? This simple question, are you trying to put Jesus into a box? Now, this wasn't my song. It wasn't a song in my household. Honestly, I hadn't really heard about it until I, I started kind of preparing for this uh, earlier in the week. But this is a, a song. Maybe it's a song that was sung like in the South. I don't know. But I wish I had a little box to put my Jesus in. I'd take him out and hug his neck and put him back again. One more point of problematic child theology that we have to undo later on. <laughs> like, I mean, okay, if, you know, if I remove myself as the pastor for a minute, I mean, I, I understand the idea. Okay, great. Now we, we have kids that, that are wanting to have Jesus with them wherever they go, right? That, that is the, the heart of the, the message, or at least that's what I'm going to choose to believe, because if it's not, then we have an even larger problem. But can I say that if we look at our world, if we look at our nation, if we look at the cities and towns that, that we live in, and, and even at ourselves, is that sometimes how we act? Is that sometimes the, the way that we approach Jesus? You know, here's a, a question for us, and I mean, it's time to be honest. Do we have moments in our own lives when we try to put Jesus into boxes? As long as he fits within the box that we have constructed, everything is well with the world. It's when he starts pushing out of that box, when he starts doing the unexpected that we start to get uncomfortable and we start to wish that he would just go back in the box. Church, this morning I am here to tell you that Jesus does not fit in your box. He does not fit in my box. He does not fit in any box. And I don't know what your box is. I don't know what, what you have in your box. I don't know why you have a box. I, I don't know how that box came about. And can I tell you, I have a box as well. We all bring this box along with us. It doesn't matter about your age. It doesn't about, matter about your ethnicity, your background, how you were brought up, how you showed up this morning to this church. He is not going to fit in it. 
The passage that we are going to be looking at today shows us these religious leaders, these religious leaders that were getting upset because Jesus was not fitting into their box. Jesus was doing things that were, were making people uncomfortable. And they were facing this, this fundamental question, that maybe the, the most fundamental question of their time. Is this man the Messiah? That, that was the question they were trying to answer. Is this man, this Jesus, the promised Messiah that, that all of the, the writing that we have, all of the context, all of the, the Sunday school literature, everything that we ha- have spent time studying about and pouring over and waiting for for the past hundreds of years, is this who we're waiting for? But he didn't fit in their box. And so in in their quest to find the Messiah, in their quest to find the the Savior of their souls, the the one who was going to change everything, who was going to wipe away every tear, right? If we we think of that scripture, the, the one who was going to make everything right. In their their quest to find that person. They started arguing with the Messiah about how the Messiah should act. They decided to point out to the Savior of the universe, the creator of the universe, the Holy of Holies, that he was not holy enough. Man, who would do that? Who who would act that way? Who Who would... Assume the right to say that God is not God enough. We do. Well, Matt, surely not. We do. It started all the way back in in the Garden of Eden. The, the, the choice that was made, Adam and Eve were, were created and, and they were placed in paradise. They were placed in God's best. And yet they made a choice. They made a choice to eat the fruit. Why did they choose to eat the fruit? Because they wanted to put God in a box. And maybe we haven't really thought about it that way before. Maybe we haven't really considered that context of their choice. But they were trying to put God in a box. They they ate the fruit of the the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to know like God. They they wanted to say, God, we're we're like you. We, We now have a context, a framework to put you in. We understand you. You can now fit in this nice little box that we made for you. Come on in. And God said, how dare you? I created you in my image. You will never create me in yours. 
They wanted to put God in a box. God created mankind in his image. And what we see even today, over and over and over again, is us trying to make God into ours. And what is that, what is that saying when we try to make God look like us? When we try to make God talk like us? When we try to make God like us? What does that mean? If we're saying that we have to change God, then that means he's not holy enough. If we're saying that God needs to to change to fit into a specific context, if he has to change in order to, to be a fit in this particular situation of my life, then I'm saying that God's not holy enough through my actions, through through the words and the, the decisions that I'm making. I'm saying exactly what the Pharisees said, that he is not holy enough for me in this time. God, forgive me. How could I? If there is something about God that we don't like, then all of a sudden we start changing God so that he starts looking more and more like us. Sometimes it is good to take a good, long, hard, honest look at who Jesus is in your life. And if Jesus starts looking like a middle-aged white guy who lives in Fortuna, California, it's probably time to start asking some hard questions. If Jesus starts looking like you, pretty soon if Jesus starts voting like you, if Jesus starts talking the way you talk, if Jesus starts acting the way that you would act, pretty soon you have Jesus meeting your agenda rather than you meeting his. Then it's time to start asking those uncomfortable questions. Now that we're all properly uncomfortable, (laughs) it's time to get to the scriptures. Starting, we're going to go back a little bit. We're going to go to Mark 2, verse 15, just to get a little bit of context before we go forward. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many And they followed him, and when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, they said to the disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were were fasting, And then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. 
No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And now I'm sure some of us, when we get to that last line, we're like, what on earth are we talking about? Patches and wineskins. <laughs> how, how did we get here? I like this was all making sense. But then that last part gets a little interesting. And, and you know, I say that because as I'm reading these things and as I'm preparing, this is kind of where I'm at at the beginning of the week. It's like, man, maybe we just like bump over those particular verses. Like this is maybe a little harder to apply, but this is something that we need to hear. The struggle of the Pharisees was that they had unmet expectations of who Jesus was supposed to be. They had an idea. They had an expectation of who Jesus was supposed to be, who the Messiah was supposed to be. They had a box of who Jesus was supposed to be, but he wasn't fitting in the box. Just to remind ourselves of what's going on here, these guys crashed the party, remember? Levi's throwing a party because he has just come into this relationship with Jesus Christ. He has come into relationship with the Savior of the world. And he says, I need to tell everyone. And so he invites the tax collectors. He invites the sinners into his home. He says, this guy changed me, and I want you to see how he can change you too. And we don't know this. This is just maybe me kind of inferring a little bit, but it doesn't seem like Matthew would be really on a, a party invitation basis with the Pharisees that really didn't like the tax collectors all that much. It doesn't seem like he would have been on a, hey, come on over, I'm having a quick gathering this evening, it'll be great. And yet here they are. Here are the Pharisees at the party, so focused on their fasting that they're unable to feast with the Savior of the world. The Pharisees are, are fasting while Jesus is feasting. And so let's, let's talk about expectations. Let's talk about unmet expectations. So the, the Pharisees fasted as they were miserably waiting for God to send his promise. And at the same time, we have sinners that are feasting with their Savior. The religious people missed the point. Does that ever happen? Maybe that doesn't happen here so often, but the religious people missed the point. If Jesus really was the Messiah, he would be paying more attention to the fact that I have been fasting for two whole days and I feel terrible. I mean, if the Messiah isn't impressed with that, then why am I doing it in the first place? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Jesus wasn't concerned about meeting the expectations of the religious leaders of that time. That was not the focus. That was not the point. He wasn't there to, to fulfill some traditional legalistic point. Now, I didn't do a super exhaustive search through the entire Old Testament but from what I have seen, 
There's about one specific day that is called out for fasting in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement. You know how often the Day of Atonement comes about? Once a year. But the Pharisees didn't think that that was good enough. Just a side note, if you ever feel like, you know, you're looking at the Bible and you're saying like, that's not enough for me to be holy, I need to add some more stuff, you don't. If you ever feel like there's more to the process, there's more to the equation that needs to be added, that you need to make something more complex because it couldn't possibly be that simple, it is and you're wrong. If you think you have a better version of being holy, you're off. And so the Pharisees decided that they needed to not just fast once a year, but twice a week. And that was how they were going to show how holy they were. They chose Mondays and Thursdays. They, they publicized the specific days that they were going to fast. So that they could look miserable as they went about their day. So that everyone who looked at them saw and knew, oh, it's Monday. Pastor so-and-so has, is fasting today because it's Monday. That's why he looks so awful. Man, he is so holy. I, sh- I can only hope to be as holy as he is. They love to pray in public. They love to give in public. And they love to fast in public. But if we look at, at the instruction that has been given when specifically concerning fasting. What, is, what does it say in Matthew about fasting? If you're going to fast, wash your face, put on clean clothes, and look like nothing's going on. Because it, this has nothing to do with the relationships that are, are happening in front of you and beside you and behind you. It has everything to do with this relationship right here. That's the focus. If you want to make yourself look miserable, you will get all of the credit that you're asking for. And that's all you're going to get. What we see here is is religious peer pressure. Peer pressure that attempts to shame us into conformity with a system, conformity with a specific set of rules and regulations. If you really love God, then you would do blank. And that's the approach that they were taking with the Savior of the world. If, can you imagine being face-to-face with Jesus and saying, if, if you really loved God, you'd be fasting twice a week? Man. If you, if you really loved God, if you were really spiritual, you would probably come to that Monday night Bible study. Do you understand? There's nothing wrong with fasting, right? That, that's not what this is about. Like, don't, let's not, there's an appropriate way to do it. There's an appropriate way that that gets incorporated into my life. Just like there's absolutely nothing wrong with going to the Monday night Bible study. Okay, let's, this is, <laughs> sorry, dad, if everybody just stops showing up, that's, <laughs> they, they missed the point if that, <laughs> that's what's going on here. 
so we have these unmet expectations, but then we have some, some unexpected observations that come from this as well. So we have these religious leaders. So they made these extra laws, right? These extra regulations that said, hey, we're going to fast twice a week. We're going to fast on these days. But they also kind of inserted this little caveat to that saying, well, we're not going to fast when there's a wedding. Because that would be kind of a downer, right? If, if you, like, you're the bride and groom and you're at the wedding and it's this big celebration and then you have, you know, pastor so-and-so shows up to the wedding. He's like, oh, I can't eat because I'm fasting. I'm so holy. Somehow they decided that that was maybe a little too much. And so they made this rule that said, we're not necessarily going to fast during a wedding feast. And so this is why we see Jesus bringing up the bridegroom. Why would we fast when the bridegroom is here? Because what is, when, when we think about Jesus, he's, he's the bridegroom and he's returning for his bride. His bride is the church, right? That's a common uh, symbolism that, that we hear in scripture. Jesus is the bridegroom is here. So why would we fast? There's going to be plenty of time for fasting when the bridegroom leaves. Fasting is is prioritizing the feasting on God over the feasting on food, right? It's setting time aside to focus on God when your body's trying to turn to something else. And, okay, I'm going to say this now so that we can just get it out of the way. There's people who are like, well, I don't really fast on food. I fast on like this other thing or, or this thing, you know, my blood sugar, blah, blah, blah. You know, I have a medical. I'm, I don't need to get into the specifics of what you fast. Okay, that's, that's, again, a you and God thing. That's not the point of this. The point is the heart that's behind it. Setting time aside to focus on God when your body, when your mind is trying to turn to something else. That's, let's use that as the, the definition, the purpose of fasting. It, it's so that every time there's this, this call within me to do something, and let's use food as the example just because that's what's scripturally being talked about here. Every time I feel hungry during that period of time, every moment of hunger that I experience, it's a reminder to, to point myself back to God and say, God, I'm hungry, and I, I'm hungry for you. Man, I really wish I could go have that bag of chips. Oh, yeah, that's another reminder that I need to be focused on God during this time. And it it redirects me back to that moment. Every time that thought comes into my head, it's a redirection back to this is where my help comes from. If we read Isaiah 58, I'm going to read the whole thing. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? 
Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and you will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your light will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame and you will be a well, like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairers of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, if you honor it by not going on your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's what we're supposed to be doing. (laughs) It has nothing to do with fitting in a box. It has nothing to do with placing God in that box. It has nothing to do with trying to fit myself in this box. It has nothing to do with me getting credit for something. It has nothing to do, really, it has nothing to do with me at all. I'm called to participate, and through my participation, God has, has made it available for me to join with him in what he is doing in this world. I'm called to fast as a result of my longing for what I want to see God do in this place. We fast as we we long for Christ's return. When we get to be with him, we no longer need to fast. If if I have the, the old work shirt that has all the holes that I have washed countless times, if I put a brand new patch on that, that shirt that has already shrunk as much as it's going to shrink, as soon as I put that patch on and start washing it, it's going to shrink. The patch is going to shrink, and it's going to tear away from that garment that was already tattered and worn, and it's going to make the hole even bigger. 
What Jesus is saying is if you try to sow me into your broken religious system, your system that is made up of a whole bunch of boxes, if you try to put me in that box, I will destroy it. I will destroy that box. It is not going to survive. I I am not here to make the old system work. I'm here to bring the new system. That's the message that, that he's sharing in these last verses. He is not here to fix something that was broken. He is here to bring brand new And what we see with the the comments that come throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of the New Testament, all of the Gospels, from the Pharisees talking to Jesus, talking about Jesus, is how do we fit this into our current system, not willing to recognize that it's broken? And so the question for us this morning as we come to a close is, are there areas in your life, are there boxes in your life that are broken that you are trying to patch Jesus over the top of? Is Jesus kind of your, your throw on the patch, throw on the band-aid and say everything's going to be fine when in reality you need to start fresh? Are there things like that that exist in your world? If you are trying to fit Jesus into your tidy, clean, neat, expected religious box, you have the wrong box. Can I tell you, I, I have these boxes. Every single one of us has these boxes. We have those areas that, that just over time, through experience, through just lack of attention, these boxes come about in our lives. And so the point this morning, the focus this morning is for us to turn from that approach and to, to ask the question, God, have, are there areas where, where I'm making you look like me versus where I'm trying to look like you? God, I I want to be a reflection of who you are. I don't want you to be a reflection of me. The last thing this world needs is another one of me. God, I want to know you. I want to be like you. I want others to look at me and see you. That's that's the the desire of my heart. And, And even though that's the desire of my heart, I still have these boxes. Because we're not going to have this whole thing worked out until we're with him in heaven. <laughs> this is the whole being, being saved part is we, we keep finding these boxes and we keep putting them out on the, the sidewalk for a pickup, but we keep finding more. As we continue to search, as we continue to say, God, we... We want to be like you. I, I, transform us, shape us. That's, that's what that prayer means is, is take everything in me that doesn't belong to you and, and remove it. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. That's, that's the words to the song. And so we surrender. 
We surrender everything we have. We, we surrender everything that he has given us. We surrender everything that we think we have earned, everything we think we deserve. We surrender it all for the promise of something better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And we give it all up. God, I ask that you would, even now, at this very moment, that you would begin to be pointing out those things in our life, those, those boxes that we have tried to stuff you in. God, I don't want you to fit in my box. I don't want to try to fit you in my box. I want to give you free reign to do what it is that you have come to do in my life and in the life of those that I love. And so God, this morning we ask that you would reveal to each of us those areas that you want to do work. Reveal to each one of us those areas where we need to, to open our arms, where we need to make a way for you to, to come in and do what it is that only you do. God, we thank you that even when we try to, to make you look more and more like us, you still love us. You still seek the best for us. You, you still came and that you still saved, you still redeemed, you still made a way for us to be with you for all of eternity, even when we mess up over and over and over and over again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 